G'day and welcome to the Bridget and Josh show. I'm Bridget. And I'm Josh. And this is the show where we talk about things that we think young Catholics should care about. And today we think that young Catholics should keep caring about more about our lives. Yeah, more. <laughs> Specifically about Josh's life and what he is about to do slash has been up to. So I'm, uh, I'm going to have lunch in about uh, two hours' time. No, no, not that. No, yes. No, I'm really excited. Uh, as we're recording tomorrow night, mm-hmm. uh, I'm actually making my final or perpetual vows with the missionaries of God's love, which is really, really exciting. Wow, that's yeah. so good. Um, what is that? Yeah, what well, does that mean? Um, <laughs> perpetual vows. Perpetual is all very vows. Like yeah, it sounds strong words. Yes, it sounds very kind of like fancy perpetual profession mm. or you know something. So. Um, Basically, uh, so five years ago, I took yep. my initial vows and and within the missionaries, and so um, as I hope most people that listen to the podcast would know, uh, I am a missionary of God's love, and I'm currently studying to be a priest. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this for about seven years now, um, and so the missionaries of God's love is a you know a group of. Uh, priests and brothers, and there's some MGL sisters as well, mm-hmm. uh, and we're all people who have encountered God's love for us in such a way that we want to give back, basically, to God and to the church. And so we experience something, an invitation from God mm-hmm. for us to live our life in a special way, to de- dedicate our lives to the preaching of the good news, uh, that we give our si- ourselves to basically going around the country and around different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And basically telling people that Jesus loves them and, and God loves them and, and God has revealed that love through uh, Jesus uh, and he's given himself completely to us in his death and resurrection uh, and that he gives us the Holy Spirit that we can encounter and live in that love uh, and come to know that love in such a way uh, that will change our lives and that more than that, God wants to spend eternity in heaven with us. Such is God's love for us, right? And so that's the MGLs. Mm-hmm. Um that's probably one of the better descriptions I've done of that, so that's good. I should <laughs> I should keep this recording. But um so that's who we are. Mm-hmm. And so perpetual vows is the step so when I took initial vows, I made I made a, a public vow to live poverty, chastity and obedience. I'll talk yeah. about what those things are in a bit. Um for a period of five years. Okay. And so what they were saying is like, I'm pretty sure God's called me to this way of life that he yep. wants me to live as an MGL. Uh, for the rest of my life. Uh, but the church, in her wisdom, say, okay, well, we actually want to test people out to mm-hmm. make sure that they can live this because it is a bit different. It's a bit of a radical way of life. Yeah. So you take initial vows, and then over a period of time, you kind of test that out. You know, It's almost like you're taking it for a test drive, so yeah. to speak. And so that's what I've been doing. For the last five years, I've been going, okay, is this what I, I feel like God's calling mm-hmm. me to do? Can I actually live out this way of life? And in doing that, I've been preparing for tomorrow night. So tomorrow night what I'll do is I'll make those same vows that I made five years ago, 
But the difference is that I'm saying I, I've done the testing, I've done the discernment, mm-hmm. and I believe this is what God, God's calling me to do for the rest of my life. So I'll make perpetual lifelong vows yep. uh, to live as an MGL. Yeah. Wow. So is this a step like towards being a priest? Is that your end goal? How does it fit with that? Because I know that yeah. um, like diocesan priests don't have an perpetual vows. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it kind of is, but it isn't really, if that makes sense. So, um, so it like, it is for you, but not for everyone. Oh, kind of. So in the church, you've got two sort of types of priests. (laughs) You've got diocesan or secular priests and secular. We don't mean that they're, you know, they're out there listening to Iron Maiden or or whatever they might. (laughs) Yeah. Some guys are really into that, but, um, they're secular in the sense that they're Priests that are sort of given to the work of a diocese, and, and they gather they gathered around a local bishop and 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 things like that, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then you've got religious or consecrated priests, and yep. so they're priests who, in addition to their priesthood, they live con- what we call consecrated life, which is what I've been talking about: yep. the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Uh, and they uh, aren't gathered around necessarily a geographical area, but mm-hmm. they're gathered around a charism and a set of rules and yep. constitutions and that sort of stuff. So um, they're the two types of priests. You've got secular yep. or diocesan clergy and then religious or consecrated priests. Um, and so for us as MGLs, we're consecrated. And yep. so for us, in one sense, for me to become a priest, mm-hmm. I need to take my final vows, yep. which can make people think, oh, well, that's just it's, the, it's just one of the steps along the way. But for us, we I, we experience our consecration mm-hmm. kind of like our primary identity. Yeah, you know. And so for us, the final vows is almost the it's the culmination of mm-hmm. of, of uh, what our formation has kind of been about, um, as, especially our formation as within the charism of the MGL. And so yeah. this is us saying, this is sort of who I am. It's not so much what I want to do, as mm-hmm. in be a priest, but. Being an MGL is who I experience God has called and made me to be, if that makes sense. So yeah. it is kind of like if we would look about an analogy, this would be more of the wedding day than the ordination would be. Right. It's different for diocesan priests. It's a slightly different sort of uh, ball game there. But for us, as consecrated men, I was mm-hmm. going to say consecrated men and women, but for MGL brothers, as consecrated men, that's this is sort of the this is sort of the big one, yeah. the big kahuna, so to speak. This is our wedding day. Wow, um, a kind of like a clumsy metaphor, which I think falls apart to a certain point. Yeah. Um, like you might think of someone who's like a teacher or a doctor, right? and they can experience those things as really strong vocational callings. Yeah. They study for a long time. It's a key core part of how they they identify how they're meant to be in mm. the world. But if, but for them, marriage would still be that primary. Yep. vocation from that would be the really fundamental one and it's kind of like that for me yep. so uh, obviously as becoming a priest it's slightly different because there's different mm-hmm. things that happen sacramentally and, yep. and grace and all that sort of stuff but for us as mgls and for most really i think most if not all religious would experience this that there's a primary calling of being an mgl or being a religious that goes yep. probably it, it's quite a deep thing mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah so for you it's been like you feel called to be an mgl and then Within that, there's different ways of ministering to people yeah, exactly. and different ways of sharing the yeah. mission of God's love. 
Yeah, and so we're at, we're what's called a clerical religious institute, which mm-hmm. basically means that most of our guys will become priests. Yeah, but we've got a, we've got a few guys who, in their discernment, uh, they feel God's calling them to remain as a brother, mm-hmm. and they actually they're a really key and important part of our uh, of our brotherhood as well. They yeah. they can go places that the priests can't go, and they can do things, and and they're so and they're you know that's a really important vocation. So yeah, so the fundamental thing is the MGLness, mm-hmm. I suppose, and then how we live that out, you know, will depend on you know if. Someone yeah. chooses to go to or go through to ordination, or um, if they feel called to to be a brother as well. So yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. So what has like led up to this point in terms of your MGL formation and becoming? So not necessarily your like whole life story that yeah, yeah. you know Jesus loves you, but like what has it looked like? Um, uncovering that MGL charism for you. Yeah, so back in 1982, Chris and Lisa <laughs> met. No, I mean, I think that's when they met, hopefully. If I'm wrong, you please tell me, mum and dad, assuming that you still listen to this. But I, I was at home the other day. Mum said she's listened to them all. Oh, so really? that's good. Oh, bless her um, heart. God bless you, mum. I love you. Um, yeah, so, so I joined the Brothers 2015. And mm-hmm. so... That's what we call our pre-novitiate, and so yeah. that's your, your, that's your first year in the brothers, and that's you get your brown and white clothes on, Ooh. and you get excited, and you come here to Garen in Canberra, and you go, oh, this is all so exciting, and that's a place where you kind of you learn the nuts and bolts of what it kind of means to be an MGL. Yeah. So you figure out, you know, Friday is a prayer and fasting day, mm-hmm. Monday is a brotherhood day, and and we have praise during the week, and we have times of intercession, and you learn the nuts and bolts of the shape of our lifestyle. And then at the end of that year, if you feel like, oh, this is something I, I, mm-hmm. I'm still feeling might be for me, you take promises. And so, so you promise to live right. the life as an MGL. It's not a vow. So you're not, you're not bound to it in the same way that a consecrated man yeah. would be. But you make a promise to live as a, what's called a novice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think that people know the word novice. It means, you know, you knew, someone's new at a thing. Yep. And so what you're trying to do, you're trying to learn and appropriate the way of life to go, I'm just trying to see, is, is, this, is this kind of fit? Mm-hmm. And you do that for about a, it's a year for us. So yep. some orders have different lengths of novitiate, but for us it's one year. And that's, you know, it has to be at least a year and that's set in canon law. Yeah. Um, and that's, we live that out in, in a particular way. And what we're trying to do there is appropriate the way of life mm-hmm. uh, to our being or to, yep. we want to appropriate the way of life to our lives and just to really see if that's what God's calling us to. So mm-hmm. that's a time of more intense prayer, discernment and preparation. And yep. At that point, you're looking towards initial vows. Right. So at the end of that year, like so, I did in 2016, I made my initial vows here in Canberra, and then after that, you move to the seminary in Melbourne. So right. we're at our house of studies in, in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So we've got uh, a couple of houses on a, a little bit of land. Mm-hmm. Well, not a little bit; it's quite a small bit of land. It makes it sound like there's you know, yeah. <laughs> meadows and stuff. It really isn't. It's in the middle of Burwood, which is a suburban Melbourne. Yeah, it's like a proper city yeah. suburban. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you move there, and that's where we do our, our study for the priesthood. So we go to Catholic Theological College. Yep. Uh, so I'm you know, pumping out four units a year, very yep. much like any other uni student. Mm-hmm. We don't work like most uni students do, so that's a bit la da but we do different ministries and that sort of stuff. Yep. And so, um, and again, you're learning more and more about the MGL. And it's not just the uni study. We mm-hmm. do some in-house formation around our charism and our spirituality and things like that. Um, and, you're, and it's all that sort of stuff to help to prepare mm-hmm. you to become a priest. So you can see there, it's sort of the priesthood and yep. con- final consecration. They kind of journey alongside each other as, yep. you, as you're being formed for that. So you might have some formation on the vows, and mm-hmm. the next week you might have some formation on how to lead in a parish setting. You know, right. like it really depends on um, different things and where mm-hmm. you're up to and things like that. 
And then after about three years, you have a, we have a bit of an in-house thing where we renew yep. our vows. And that's, a, that's an, again, it's another key marker. Mm-hmm. And so as you can see, there's all these little key steps yeah. that are aimed at helping you just to figure out if this is what God wants you to do. Yeah. Um, are they kind of like little check-in points where you kind of really yeah. sit down between you and God and be like, is this really where we're going? And yeah, really exactly. And we do that. And we have, you know, in addition to those, we have yearly evaluations and yep. we have to do self-evaluations. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole sort of process. Yeah. Um, which is really helpful because it helps you sort of stop and go, okay, what's actually going You know, How am I experiencing God in my prayers? Am I developing in the charism of the MGL and all that sort of stuff? So we renew our vows after three years, uh, and that then points you towards your final vows. And so, right. um, so yeah, and so it's sort of – it's quite a process. And mm-hmm. so this is my seventh year in the Brothers. Wow. So, um, you know, really kind of – you kind of want – by the time you take initial vows, you want to be going, like, I'm pretty sure, yeah, this is a lock. Yep. Like, this feels pretty good. I just – I'm just trying – I'm just testing it out now. Yep. Sort of like a bit of a – you're just confirming what, what you already kind of yep. know. So uh, – and that doesn't mean that you, it's always sort of smooth sailing. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk to most people I know. They know I've been a bit all up, down, and all over the place, as I am with most things. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's sort of been the process. So I've been studying uh, there for five years. Um yeah, and then we're sort of at this stage now, and then into next year we're looking at sort of ordination to the Akhenate at some point and okay. then priesthood after that. So, yep. you know, things sort of really sort of kick off after here in a yep. certain sense in uh, in in that, but yeah. That's so exciting. So I'm really interested in the, like, study bit and, like, what you've been yeah. learning because um, one of the discussions that we talked a lot about and um, I held kind of close to my heart, particularly my plenary council role, was about um, how – valuable that study is for seminarians and how we can like make that a more communal process and like someone like me yeah. i love theology like yeah, yeah. and i feel like it would be amazing to be able to study with people like seminarians who are giving their whole lives to yeah. learn more about jesus anyway that's an aside but like what kind of things do you learn in that yeah and, um also what would have been some of your favorites like favorite essay topics yeah okay well <laughs> bit um, of a nerdy question <laughs> i've done a lot of essays i counted the other day i think uh, including the study i did before i joined the brothers i think mm-hmm. i've been at uni for 10 or 11 years so which breaks my family's record uh, <laughs> someone in my family's at nine and someone else was at 10 years so um yeah, I've been at uni for a long time. So, um, is that continuous, or did you have any like breaks? Well, between? I took like half a semester off before I joined, and then the two years I was here in Canberra, there wasn't any formal tertiary study, but I was right. still doing assignments yeah, and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So, um, so yeah, so like in terms of our formation, so priestly formation in the church happens following kind of the principles set out in uh, Pastaro Darbo Vobis, mm-hmm. uh, which is written by. Um, John Paul II, and he identifies four areas of priestly formation. There's academic or intellectual, spiritual, human, and apostolic or pastoral pastoral Mm -hmm. missionary formation. And they're all kind of connected, and it's not like they're, you know, human beings aren't compartmentalized. (laughs) Uh, It all works together. And so, um, you know, often the intellectual set looks like it's the main, not the main one, but it's Mm -hmm. the one you see like as people are studying. And all four of them are equally important. I think that's really key to point out. And they all work together. And so that's true for my study as well. My study actually really helps me in my partial mm-hmm. formation, in my human formation and my spiritual formation as well, which is really great. So um, so like I said, I study at CTC uh, and that's most, I would say, the, the majority, not probably not the vast majority, the majority of students are seminarians yep. um, or sisters mm-hmm. in formation. Uh, there's a whole lot of lay people as well, which is fantastic. I've got some really great friends who I've met through there, and it's people from all over. So I've got, yeah. I've met oblates, I've got oblate friends, and Capuchin friends, mm-hmm. and diocesan friends, and Jesuit friends, yeah. and um, 
you know, there are lots of really conventional Franciscans, like fantastic sort of uh, studying environment. And so the way that we do it in the MGLs is that we do a double degree. So I've mm-hmm. got uh, a Bachelor of Theology and a Bachelor of Ministry, and I'm currently doing a Graduate Diploma of Theology. Oh, cool. Um, so I think I've got one. I think I'll have more letters after my name than I will have in my name. But <laughs> not a reflection of any level of intelligence, mind you. But, um, but yeah. So and it's a whole range. So you do philosophy mm-hmm. and theology and practical sort of stuff. Like we do some pastoral, um, pastoral sort of psychology or yeah. pastoral care sort of stuff. Um, liturgy and the sacraments. So it's a pretty broad range. And so yeah, a bit of everything you need. Yeah, to like be a person running things yeah and exactly <laughs> and so things. rome has an idea they say well we want yeah. you to study this and then within the mgls we have our own uh what we yeah. call our norms and our ratio that says mgl priests should be able to do this and to do that we believe they should right. study this sort of this number of philosophy and this number of scripture and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. and um and yeah and so it's sort of like any i'm like any other sort of you just shouldn't i pack my lunch and i go to yep. college and <laughs> You know, I don't pull all-nighters anymore. I'm too old for that. But I uh, I have days where I'm cramming in essays in a whole lot shorter period of time than I should <laughs> and not proofreading them any, anywhere near as much as I should. So it's 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 in a sense it does feel like you're kind of like a uni student, yeah. which is great. But the exciting thing for me, and this is something I've noticed over the last few years, is that um, as I've learned more yeah. and as I've done more study – and I'm not sure if, you know, I think it's probably similar in, say, history or mm-hmm. teaching and that sort of stuff. What starts out of a bit of, as a bit of a disparate sort of this subject over here, this one's over here. As you get more into it, what starts happening is you can actually see a framework developing. Yeah. So now for me, and this is one thing I've really valued, is that as I've studied, now when I then look at a ministry issue or I have a conversation with a young person about, you know, uh, it might be a philosophical content uh, mm-hmm. question or it might be something about lockdown or it might be something yeah. about, um, you know, Pope Francis wrote this letter or I heard Benedict said this once upon a time mm-hmm. or the plenary council or whatever it is. The way I've experienced the studies, it helps me now I've got a way of thinking, yeah. almost like a framework or a synthesized approach, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. And being able to see all these things sort of joined together yeah in the kind of way that they can, yep. um, that's been really exciting. So um, in terms of my favourite papers, uh, yeah. <laughs> I kind of forget them really quickly, which probably you don't want to hear from someone who's about to be a priest <laughs> and has done all the study. But um, I had some really fun papers this year. I wrote a, mm-hmm. a paper on Romans uh, chapter 8, yep. so Life in the Spirit. So I did a thing about uh, in, in that Romans eight seventeen, it talks about how um, it's at the end of that very short three-verse thing where it talks about, you know, haven't received a spirit of mm-hmm. fear um, or spirit of slavery to fall back into in the fear, but we received the spirit of sonship, daughterhood, yeah. um, so we can cry, Abba, Father, mm-hmm. and that, you know, and that experience of that adoption. But it says, provided that we suffer with him so that we may also share in his glory or yeah. something to that effect. And so I wrote, wrote about that provided mm-hmm. we should suffer and, and talked about how that opens up for us the Paschal mystery and yeah. the crucifixion and, and by identifying with that through baptism but also by identifying it through the suffering that we all mm-hmm. probably know a fair bit about now because of COVID and that sort of stuff, that we can identi- we can know that Christ is with us in that and that is actually a transformative thing. So we don't want to be afraid of our suffering necessarily, but that's a key way that we can encounter Christ and that opens up for us a life in the Spirit. So I really enjoyed that. That was really yeah. fun. I just wrote an uh, essay on... Uh, how people with intellectual or developmental disability can access the sacraments and their oh, right incredible. to receive the sacraments and how that works out canonically and, and mm-hmm. things like that. I've 
I was just talking with the brothers here yesterday about a paper on uh, looking at Jean-Luc Marion's philosophy of um, being as an icon of mm-hmm. God and the philosophy of the face and how taking some of those ideas, we can bring them into prayer and spirituality and even our experience of consecration, of wow. being in the gaze of Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's really fun. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm, I am a bit of a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I enjoy, I enjoy being able to play with some of these ideas mm-hmm. as well, which is really good. So. That's fantastic. Yeah. I love that. I I don't know. I'm a big nerd too. That's why we do this. <laughs> but like I think it's so important like what we study and like how that shapes us. And I, I, I like what you said about how it was sort of a, a framework because I think that shapes our lens of like how we view the world and how we view other people. And it's really important. And it's also like, I don't know, like as a uni student, it's where I spend most of my time yeah. and like a lot of my like thought capacity is caught up in like what I'm studying, what am I doing, what am I assigned, et cetera. So it's, I think it's important to make that a valuable time and to, to talk about it because yeah. maybe that's just because I'm passionate about no, what no, I'm studying, I think, like, Yeah, and I think it you're matters. right. And it's really hard. Like study can be really draining and university are deadlines and, yeah. um, you know, like sometimes the lecturers might might not be the most engaging. Obviously, the ones <laughs> all the ones I've had have been very engaging, of course. But, um, <laughs> but you know, like and uni can be really a pressured time. And and you know, like I'm really blessed. I'm really lucky that I, I'm I'm I've got a pretty good brain, and I yep. enjoy learning in that. And I know yeah. it's not that's not the same for everyone. Um, and uni can be really hard, but I, I've really valued that part of, of my formation. I mean, I hate it when I'm in it, but when, yeah. I've, when I've finished it and I can step back and look back, it's actually been really great because it's just being, being able to um, just see all these ideas come together has mm-hmm. been really exciting. And just seeing how they can actually be beneficial in ministry, having conversations yeah. and using something I've learned at uni and someone just going, that actually really helps yeah. and that, you know, and that might help them to move into a new sort of time of mm. real consolation and growth in their spiritual life. And that's sort of the, it's kind of, it's not the things you really like yeah. about that sort of stuff as well. So That's amazing. Talk about other things that you really like. What are some of your like favorite parts of MGL life and of yeah. what you do and and Oh, gosh. That charism and spirituality that you have that is quite specific to MGL-ness. Yeah, um, I love being an MGL. It's not the easiest thing in the world necessarily all the time. Sometimes it's a real, you know, it is sort of a real kind of like joyful, easy mm-hmm. sort of experience. Um, I'm just really thankful yep. for it. Really, I'm really thankful for my brothers. Um, you know, living in an international, multicultural, multi-ethnic brotherhood is yep. uh, my counsellor. She she sees a, a few of us, and she says, says to me. Oh, she often says to me, she says, "Josh, I don't know how you haven't killed each other yet." <laughs> She's like, "It doesn't make sense why it works." Yeah. Um, but it does, and like even through COVID, mm. you know, fifteen of us living in a in in a house or across two house two house two sort of housey things. Yep. Um, I guess you just call them houses. Um. <laughs> you know, across a complex of houses, whatever, um, and all just seeing each other and no one else for yeah. 270 days over the last two years. Um, not that I was counting. Um, <laughs> um, it's just an amazing gift. Like, And it shouldn't work and yep. it should be chaos and it is kind of chaos, but it's a great gift. And, bro- and even I've been here for the last two weeks and it's being with the brothers here is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. So brotherhood's a great support. It's really hard at times, but it's yep. a real blessing. Um yeah, I mean, I just think, and I just think that what I get to do, like just the work I get to do with young people, um, just seeing lives change and be transformed, and um, but also just being with people in really difficult times, mm. uh, especially. I mean, I've had some really hard um, ministry moments in COVID of just, 
not hard in the sense that difficult for me, but just being with people in times yeah. of difficulty and seeing people lose their faith uh, and people who experience mental health issues that they mm. weren't aware of before and COVID's brought some of that up. Um, things like that. Like it's, I mean, I did a, I did a, a six month placement in a hospital. Mm-hmm. I think I was probably, I've spoken about that. We, I've, we did that in the first, uh, first half of this year and just being with people in various stages of waiting for heart, for open heart surgery yep. or people who have got cancer and they're in their twenties or, you know, chatting with this one guy who he was like, yeah, well, I, I hate – he was in a hospital for a week and they didn't know what was wrong. He's like, well, I don't want to be here because I've only got use of my legs for another year and a half. Yeah. So I actually want to be out there and doing stuff. And it's really tragic stuff. Yeah. But just the privilege of being with people in that, mm-hmm. um, you know, being with people on the edges of things, I think, is – that's a real privilege. It's really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and can be quite stressful and, and overwhelming at times. But – yeah, just the privilege of being able to, to share in that and to be to share in Jesus's place in that yeah. is really cool. So, um, and plus, I just have a whole lot of fun anyway. Like, yeah. <laughs> I sometimes I just look at stuff. I go to conferences, or I I'll be doing something. I think this is just what I get to do um, through the generosity of many people who support yeah. us in many very very ways. But I just get to do like I get to go to summer school and I get to go to community conferences mm-hmm. and I stand weekends and I stand nights and. Yep youth weekends and and it's just i don't know it just it's it's great it's real fun so yeah, yeah. beautiful uh, and you were saying that it's been like a journey like it's a it's a real process so where do you think have been the greatest changes and the greatest growth for you from the beginning when you first arrived in Canberra, putting on your brown yeah. and whites, to oh, now on the eve of your perpetual vows uh it's yeah wow it's big sc- question scary, but, you know. scary to look back i um uh, I put something up the other day and I've, I've lost quite a lot of hair and my waistline is, well, thankfully expanded. So I think I'm, I'm almost not underweight anymore. So that's good. Yep. Um, it was all in one part of uh, around my stomach, which isn't <laughs> the good thing. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, I, uh, I've, I've said to quite a number of people recently, I, um, I quite like Father Rob Gillier. He's a lovely, lovely guy and yeah. he's a great support for us. But I've often joked around that when I joined, I, I kind of wanted to be like the MGL Father Rob Gillier, but without the big muscles and the singing talents, <laughs> right? Uh, and, you know, a whole lot of other things that Rob does better than I do. But I had this sort of thing that I, I was going to go and be this heroic mm-hmm. person going around preaching, you know, about Jesus and, and all that sort of stuff. And part of that was still, I mean, not that but you know you yeah. still you, you go to things you travel and you, you get asked to speak at mm-hmm. things and and you know whatever um but i guess for me as i look now like there's been a whole journey over this period of time of discovering myself but also discovering who god's created me to be and i like i often will talk about i write everyone asks you know i write something on my wrist most days and everyone goes oh have you got a tattoo and i said no yeah. i wish um i wish Would i had a tattoo that you uh oh look maybe now that i'm in final vows i can't get rid of it. maybe i'll go get a tattoo you know <laughs> if it's saturday morning first thing i'll do i'm not doing that okay don't worry anyone but um i'd love to get a tattoo but no i don't think we do the whole tattoo thing so i can just keep writing on my arm anyway yeah. it's a good reminder um and I draw a little a little stick figure crucifix and I write the letters B, L on one on either mm-hmm. side. And that sense would become love. And for me, very early on in my time here in Canberra, I, when I was starting, I was starting to experience a whole lot of issues around my mental health and, and learning more about myself and actually just getting to know God yeah. in a really beautiful way, in a, in a really difficult way. 
uh, in, in and amongst a whole lot of suffering in my own life and knowing an intimacy there which is unparalleled in any other part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and ex- experiencing a call that God was calling me just to be love for people, to allow him to transform me in such a way that I could just become love. And that's that's a life whole, lifelong thing. I, yeah. I'm still sort of scraping at the bottom step. Like, I, you know, it's, and I'm very aware of my own weakness and brokenness and insecurities and the mess that I make a whole lot of the time. But, you know, and I'm not saying that just in the pious way. I'm actually being serious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but for me, that whole thing of just being with people mm-hmm. and being with people in difficult times and in good times and of just being able to be around them and to be something of God's presence for them. Like when I joined, I thought, oh, I don't want to be one of those pastoral priests. Yeah. Um, it's a bit embarrassing to say that. But it's ironic that that's actually become the shift. Mm. You know, I had this ex- this experience a couple of years ago where I gave a talk at a youth, it was a youth camp or something, and it was okay. Like I wasn't very happy with it. But I just felt a bit ugh, gross after it. Yeah. And then in the process of the next three days, I had three, I had one catch up each day. Mm-hmm. One young guy was asking me about the priesthood. One young guy was just talking about some struggles in ministry and I was uh, and just his own life. And then another one was a friend of mine who we was just talking about his marriage and, and just talking about some of what he's been struggling with. And after each of those, the consolation I felt in yeah. that was amazing. Uh, and just realizing that that's actually mm. where God's calling me to be and just the change in that, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, so that's yeah. probably the biggest transformation apart from my – lack of hair on top now. Um, I think for me, just that's probably been the biggest shift uh, and just the things that have happened in my life to precipitate that have yep. been, um, yeah, been really important. So, yeah. That's amazing. And just a final question. I don't know if this will be the final question, but it feels <laughs> like a final question. Um, you were talking about how you're a missionary of God's love. What does God's love mean to you? Yeah, wow. That's a doozy. Um, that's a really good question. It's something that's really hard to put into words, I think. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, there's, philo- there's philosophical answers, there's theological answers, there's spiritual answers. Um, in a sense, like, I don't know, like I think when we look at the cross... Like we in all of our houses in the Angels, we have one of the we have the San Damiano Cross, you know, mm-hmm. the Saint Francis Cross, um, which is actually an icon, mm-hmm. um, and it's this beautiful this beautiful cross where Jesus is sort of there, and if you pay enough attention to it, what you notice is that his side is pierced because the blood's coming up, but his eyes are open, and obviously the side's pierced after Jesus dies, right? So it's actually a resurrected Christ that's on the on the cross, and the bar. Across the back, which looks like the crossbar of the cross, is actually represents the tomb. Mm. So Jesus has, has come out of the tomb, um, and um, anyway, not to get too into that, but it's just something of when you when you're there and you look at that, and it's just about encountering that. And mm. so I don't know if God's love means. I mean, it obviously means a lot to me. Otherwise, I yep. wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. But for me, God's love is almost. It's the amazing reality when you can encounter that, when you can encounter the fact that Jesus, you know, there's this book that I really love called The Impact of God. It's about John of the Cross and mm-hmm. his writings and his life and his spirituality. And 
one of the early chapters is called The Gospel Has Eyes. Wow. And the whole point, he starts off this whole this chapter saying, imagine you're sitting on a park bench, this little park bench, and you have this realization that someone has actually been looking at you for quite some time. You know, we all have that experience where we can feel someone's eyes on the back of our head and we go, ooh, who's looking at me? And you, Somehow mm. you know, right? God's always looking upon us with love and is always giving himself to us in love. And often we have so much in the way. Mm. You know, if you think about giving someone a hug, but you're holding 15, you know, books in front of you, you know, you're trying to hug someone, there's all these books in the way, all this yeah. stuff in the way. God's love is, and without being wishy-washy, is God's love is just how much he's given to of himself for our sake completely, even to death, even to giving him us himself in the Eucharist, all that he could win us to himself again. And that the depths that he goes to is that he wants to be with us and give himself to us at the very depths of our being. Um, and for me, I've experienced that really deeply in my struggles with anxiety and mental health issues and a whole lot of other things, you know, and that's one of the great hopes of you know, Christmas, right? Um, yeah. That in the prologue of John's gospel, it says, you know, the light has come into the darkness and the darkness can't overcome. And I think that's the beauty of God's love, that for me, God's love means, I guess, that he gives himself so much to us because he wants to be with us. Mm. Uh, and he wants to draw us into himself and be with us forever. And that's the depth that he's gone to. And he just invites us into that. He gives us all that we need, the grace that we need to do that. And he seeks to transform us so that we could become love, you know, and that we can, he, we can allow him to transform us so that we can actually get to the place where we can be in union with him in heaven forever. And that's our destiny, right? So, yeah. um, that's the best I can put it. It's really, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to write. I don't want to go on for about half an hour. I think yeah. I've probably gone on too long. But, but yeah, so I think, um, yeah, I think that's probably it, that, you know, just the yeah. depth of, of God's givenness to us. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said that, like, it's impossible to answer because, you know, by giving your perpetual vows and giving yourself to God, you're answering that question with the rest of your life. Hopefully. And into eternity. You know, there's... It doesn't stop understanding, like, what God's love is for us and yeah. how, how we respond to it. Yeah, and, I mean, that's the hope. You know, the great the great hope of consecrated life is it does it actually provides something of a signpost to yep. eternity in a way that marriage does as well, that, that points to the union. Mm. Uh, but, you know, in us taking vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, we find that most perfectly lived out in Christ on the cross. You know, the poor one, uh, completely alone, given out of love, for the world and for the mm-hmm. Father and completely obedient to the Father is a perfect example of those vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And so the life of consecration is an imitation of that. Ken writes in, Ken's got a book, Father Ken's got a book called The Radical Way of Love and that's because mm-hmm. that's what we experience our consecration as, that we've encountered God so much and the love of God so much that we want to, like the apostles, drop everything and follow him and we do that in a really broken way yeah. uh, and we just try and make that a day-by-day decision. And for, in some sense, the final vows is really the beginning of that. Yeah. Uh, just as marriage is the beginning of the rest of your life together, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, but it is, and that's what we hope is that we can sort of be something of a of a of a signpost that can point towards uh, our eternal uh, destination, our eternal end, and where we're going, um, and that you know Jesus is our lasting treasure. Mm-hmm. We we say that uh, we hope to live it out. 
uh, as well uh, in our own way and, and we do that in a really failed, broken way and, and in the weak way that we are in our humanity. But um, that's the great hope of consecration um, and that's why that is for us so important, you know, that often priesthood seems, ordination of the priesthood seems to be mm-hmm. seen as the big one and that's sort of the one everyone wants to come to but there's a great a really important witness to consecration that this is actually the more important thing yeah. because uh, we'll always be priests, but our ministry as priests uh, will end when we die. Yeah. Uh, but for us, our our consecration to Christ as our lasting treasure mm. is our, you know, it's our eternal destiny, so to speak. So anyway, that's enough. I'm sort of <laughs> rambling now, but um, but yeah, so. Beautiful. Thank you for that explanation of this important and powerful thing that you're doing yeah. for God and for the church. So. No worries. Amazing. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, we'll see you. Uh, see you next time. See you next time.